0: Welcome to The Sad Bastard, I'm your host, Dave Tarnowski. So remember last week, when I said my new antipsychotic was making it difficult for me to take a shit? Well, I started taking fiber and eating a ton of prunes to counteract the constipation. And now I can't stop shitting. Not to mention farting, like constantly. Brought to you by prunes. Can't stop, won't stop. Because you don't have a choice Jesus prunes Metamucil The show is now called The Old Sad Bastard But honestly I'd rather have to shit a lot Or not be able to Than be unable to do anything Other than cry And take depression naps And think about jumping off my roof It's only a five story drop though And I don't think that would kill me Most buildings in D.C. where I live are short because of the height of Buildings Act passed back in 1910. Not because no buildings can be taller than the Capitol building, which is what everybody says. So I'd have to go somewhere else if I really wanted to jump. But honestly, I don't want to die in D.C. I don't even really want to live here. I think I'd jump into the Grand Canyon if I were to do it. Have you ever been there? I went with my ex back in 2015 and it was and still is literally the most majestic thing I have ever seen in my life. The morning we went, it was cloudy and raining and everyone was worried it was going to be a bad day to see anything. Clouds literally filled the canyon when we got there like that fluff of cotton stuck inside a pill bottle when you first open it. But within an hour or so, the clouds began to rise, it was like a huge white curtain, lifting to reveal the singular, most beautiful sight imaginable. I can't imagine heaven looking better. It's all browns and reds and greens and just gigantic. I mean, I know it's called the Grand Canyon for a reason, but like you can't fathom the size unless you see it, and it feels like it's going to swallow you when you get close to it. And one day maybe I'll let it. That's a place I'd like to die. But currently, I don't want to die. On the contrary, I want to live. I have things to do. I have a purpose. I have hope, and I have my daily regimen of psych meds to keep me stable. So, yay. This newest one, Abilify, makes me a bit manic on top of making it hard to shit. Though not in an altogether terrible way, I feel jovial quite often. But my head feels a bit cloudy a lot of the time, which can be difficult when it comes to having to use it for anything like writing this. But I'm trying not to bug my doctor every two weeks to try something different. I need to see this one through and hope that the side effects aren't long-lasting. The trial and error of psych meds is a bit maddening. Not only is it possible or probable for one med to tone down my mania, but deepen my depression, or vice versa. The side effects can be terrible. Or a medication could just feel like it's working great and then suddenly everything goes wrong. I'm definitely a bit on the erratic side at the moment. I can't quite tell if it's increasing my mania like Wellbutrin had done back in August. When I reached out that time, I couldn't tell if I was severely depressed or just stuck in a long bout of grief over the loss of my marriage, my wife, my best friend, the life I had known for seven years or both. All I knew was I needed something, and I didn't want to go back to self-medicating with booze or weed. When you suffer from depression, grief on top of it can make it hard to tell which one is running the show, and the two of them together are formidable foes. Even though I'm feeling like I'm very much on the path to recovery, I know I'm still going through the grieving process and will be for a long time to come. It's the little things that get me. The things I just put out of my mind until someone or something reminds me. Someone submitted something in the Q&A's on Instagram recently that triggered me. Broke up with my boyfriend and it's the last night in our place. So fucking hurt and sad, this shit's so hard and I couldn't help but immediately think back to the very last night I spent in the apartment I had shared with my ex. She and I had decided to split up about a week prior, and I was looking for a new apartment for myself. Things were amicable, sweet even. We still slept in the same bed. We still treated each other with the love and affection that had been a hallmark of our relationship. We joked with each other. I always love to make her laugh, and she can be a very funny person. We held hands while watching TV, even. It was confusing as hell, and it made me want to change my mind so many times. But I just knew I couldn't. After all, it wasn't only my decision. And then suddenly whatever tiny grain of hope I had was obliterated. We had been holding hands. Literally, right up until the show we were watching that night ended. And then she got up and left the room. We were gonna go to bed. And then she came back into the room, a totally different person. All of the love was gone from her face. She asked me some questions about things that I had confessed I had done, which were part of why our relationship ended. And then she told me we were done, and I wasn't sleeping in her bed that night. And the next day, as I expected, she told me I had to leave. But that last night, that was something I hadn't thought of in a while until reading that submission. And even though I've been doing great with the whole moving on thing, those old feelings came rushing back. My eyes stung and I heard my voice catch as I recorded my response. And I thought for sure I'd break down after I finished talking when the camera was turned off, but I didn't. Instead, I just sat there with the feeling. Sadness and grief are a part of everyone's life. They just hit some people harder than others. I have to remind myself that my medications are not going to remove all of the symptoms of bipolar disorder from my life. They will just help manage them. And sadness will never be removed from my life. Happiness is still a fleeting thing and always will be. Suffering will be there until I die. These things are true for everyone. I will still have my bad days, my low nights, my manic mornings. And I will have to deal with them as they come. But I'm learning to understand myself more through this process. I'm learning to forgive myself more. To remember that I'm human and have flaws. My ever insightful new friend Sierra wrote to me the other day asking, How can I learn to trust myself with a non-judgmental mind? Much easier to blame others, especially where it's due. But when you're at fault and are beginning to understand better how you function as a person, what are the best ways to monitor yourself, to understand yourself, to hold yourself accountable for your actions? The first step to being a better version of yourself is self-awareness, recognizing your faults, owning up to your mistakes. These things naturally come with that. What doesn't is self-forgiveness. That takes a long time to come. It's not unlike not being able to orgasm. You need to let go in order to forgive yourself. I'm gonna get TMI here. I'm gonna go there. I mean, like I never do that, right? But I've had issues with coming for years and issues with maintaining erections. I've been checked out by so many doctors and there's nothing physically wrong with me. My primary care doctor said if I get erections in the morning, morning would, which I often do, then it's fine. So that means it's mental, emotional. Should I wish something had been wrong with me physically, that would have been much easier to deal with. Or at least just come to terms with And maybe fix I mean Easily fix My first marriage was all sex All the time And the sex was good Until it wasn't at the end When nothing was good After that I spent years dating Which is kind of a misnomer As most of it was just fucking An insane amount of fucking like with hundreds of people. Up to and including my first wife, I had had sex with three people. I had once equated sex with love, but when that number reached 200 and something, that link had been severed. I felt such a disconnect between the two, sex and love. And in the end, I couldn't perform anymore, unless I felt some kind of love connection. I can clearly remember this one woman I had gone on a date with during this insane phase. She was married and she was just looking for sex. We started making out at the bar where we met up and at one point I got up to use the restroom. And when I returned, she said to me, so there's this app called Hotel Tonight. Speaking of potential sponsors. So she booked a room and we hopped in a cab to the hotel. And the minute we get into the room, she gets naked and gets on all fours on the bed. No foreplay. No buildup, Just fuck me. I could never get that moment out of my mind. She looked absolutely... Fucking amazing and she was there just waiting for me to take her and I couldn't I could still see the look of disappointment on her face after I tried to put on condom after condom and just couldn't get hard enough she left within a matter of minutes after that and I just sat there on the edge of the bed and hated myself Hotel tonight, because why be a disappointment at home? Hotel tonight, hey, at least there's room service. I could joke about it now, eight or so years later, but that night scarred me. A year or so later, I met my second wife, and that marriage was a very loving one from the start. But I still had the same problem staying hard and ejaculating. She was extremely understanding for years, but now that it's over, I'm terrified of the thought of actually being with another person. I can and do enjoy fantasies with people, but COVID is almost like the perfect excuse to keep anything from happening in real life. With myself, I can let go, but with another person, it's quite difficult largely from fear that I won't be able to satisfy them or that I'll be embarrassed, that I'll disappoint them I'll be ashamed which may very well be where the problem stemmed from I had identified myself with being a great lover for years from my first marriage through the first few years after that but when I started having problems That picture of myself in my head was shattered. Now I just identified myself as a disappointment. But I've been healing, and I've learned so much about myself in recent years since I started going to therapy. I can't recommend therapy enough. But something I can't stress enough is understanding that the therapist isn't going to just figure out your problems. You need to do the work. Jesus Christ, it took me years to understand what doing the work meant. My ex was the one who got me to go to therapy. This was when I was 36 or 37. And we started going to couples counseling as well. And that's where I heard, for the first time, do the work. Our therapist was amazing really laser-focused on the problems at hand. Every session would be pretty much about a single topic, and a common theme was getting in touch with our inner children. Much like I discussed in the episode called Eleven, with the Sandra Cisneros story about the incredibly self-aware little girl who knew she was carrying all of her years with her, as if she were a Russian doll filled with the smaller versions of herself. The work for me was getting in touch with those kids and asking them what they needed, as if they were there in the room with me right at that very moment. And they are, all of them, and each one is here to teach me something, things I knew but buried long ago. It's truly incredible how deep we can bury truths inside the soil of our beings, so deep we forget the were even buried in the first place. In my regular therapy sessions, I would basically just go in and unload a bunch of shit on my therapist, talk about whatever was on my mind, which has served me pretty well over the years as a way of revealing myself to myself. I would just start talking, and then after a while it was like I had moved a rock and found something important underneath it. But quite honestly, I've started experiencing the most growth in my life since about a year ago when I started doing the Q&As on Instagram and talking to a vast swath of people from all around the globe. And doing these podcasts has been an absolute blessing as well. All of the writing I used to do was fiction. But now I'm forced to face myself, to not tell truths while hiding behind characters who would give me plausible deniability. But one thing I've learned as I've been getting into self-work is I've been blaming others less when they deserve a large share of the blame. And that's not fair to me. I took on all of the blame for my marriage ending And now that I'm getting further and further away from it, I see her side of it more and more. But none of that matters anymore. The only thing that matters is that I stopped hating myself for ruining it. And so Sierra, the best way to monitor yourself, to understand yourself, and to hold yourself accountable for your actions, as you put it, is with self-compassion. It's very easy to hate yourself for things you've done Shame is one of the strongest traps we can hold ourselves in. I don't want to get too deep into what happened between my ex and I, out of respect for her. But one of the things on my end was I cheated. It was all virtual, of course. I was seeking validation, connection, comfort. I was looking for something I hadn't felt in years. That feeling of being a great lover. It was all fantasy. I could be the greatest lover anyone had ever had if all I was was my voice and words and pictures. And the self-hatred and shame I felt for the things I had done that hurt her. Completely obscured all of the things she had done that had hurt me over the years. Obscured, obliterated. She used to always say it takes two to tango. Quite often we were both left without a dance partner. They say hindsight is 2020, but the truth is we see these things all along and turned a blind eye to them. Just as it took time and space to start to heal and move on, it took all that to see through the bullshit and the lies I told myself and start forgiving myself. Time and space are the most important things when it comes to getting over a relationship but they are also essential ingredients in getting over a shitty relationship with yourself. Guilt is a huge part of self-hatred and a killer of a non-judgmental mind. Guilt comes from a lack of boundaries, something I talked about the last time you wrote in. It's easy to feel bad about yourself when you don't set boundaries. You are allowing someone else to decide what's right and wrong And when you do that, you will almost always be a disappointment. I haven't felt like a disappointment for a while now. I feel powerful. I feel like I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be, doing what I'm meant to be. I own up to my past mistakes and learn and grow from them. But I also hold myself with love. You can't undo anything but you can grow and change and move forward and be better. But you can't grow and change without holding yourself accountable for all of the things that you wish you could undo. Because just as it takes two to tango in a relationship or more depending on the relationship, it also takes all parties involved to own up to the parts they've played and the way things played out. Self-awareness is not easy for a lot of people and the problem is it requires a non-judgmental mind, as you refer to it, Sierra. It's easy to just say, I'm such a piece of shit, and then keep being a piece of shit. You can't just say it is what it is, as if that's all it will ever be. You need to ask yourself, why did I do this shitty thing in the first place? I've come to realize most of the shitty things I've done I did because I was hurting, because I didn't feel good about myself. I hope that answers your question, Sierra. Thanks for writing, and I so look forward to more from you. And now, folks, it's time once again for a lightning round. First up is Nina, who wrote, I invited my friend over because I had a mental breakdown last night and wanted to seek help. All he had to say was, I should be happy with what I have. So I threw him out. Am I a bad person for that? Nina, fuck no, you aren't. He gave you the exact opposite of what you needed, which was emotional support. Sometimes all we need is a friend to just sit there quietly or just say, that sucks, I'm so sorry. True friends are understanding and compassionate, even if they don't fully understand what it is you're going through. And some simply won't. I mean, sometimes we just need to talk things out with the people we love and trust and to feel like we're safe and not going to be judged. And he failed. You stood up for yourself. Keep doing that. And speaking of friends, Joe wrote in, wanting to leave a friendship of almost a decade with someone who's been really shitty, but I don't know how. Joe, you just need to be honest with them. A lot of times people don't even realize they're being shitty. They get so wrapped up in their heads that they can't see themselves. This makes me think about my old friend, Rich. We had been friends for many years but after my first marriage ended, things went completely sour. He had just married his second wife right before I moved back to New York from Chicago where I'd been living with my first wife for seven years. Everything was super fresh for me, the pain unbearable. And unlike this time around with my second wife, I was drinking and I was drinking a ton. Now these are not excuses for my bad behavior, just facts. But instead of being understanding and compassionate with me, he was an absolute asshole. He said I was an embarrassment to him, that I made his other friends uncomfortable. But I'm pretty sure it really was was I made his new wife uncomfortable. And hell, looking back, I get it. I was uncomfortable with myself, but the fucker had zero compassion for me. So as hard as it was, after a few months, I sent him a long message on Facebook, I think, which was all fresh and new back in 2009. And I broke it off with him. Joe, you need to look out for yourself. That's the bottom line. No one is going to be your advocate. Everyone has their own shit going on and that shit can make them shitty people. Continuing the friend theme, Caleb wrote, in love with my best friend, don't think she loves me back. Okay, I get so many of these, and I always answer in the same way, keep your best friend. It's the easiest thing to fall in love with your best friend. They care about you, but it's a platonic love. Life is not like the movies. 99,999 fucking times out of 100,000 times. You will not only not get what you think you want, but you will lose your friend in the process because they trusted you to be their friend, their confidant. And that trust is a beautiful thing. Closeness is a beautiful thing. Friends are a beautiful thing. Don't ruin it by trying to make it something it's not. And for more on the love front, Tosh wrote in, love of my life who is no longer in love with me has moved on. It just gets harder as time goes on. Tosh, you need to hold on. Grief is a bumpy ride and it does not go away on your own terms. But in my opinion, There's no such thing as one love of your life, but multiple loves of your life. They were the love of your life at that moment. I've had three loves of my life so far, all of them completely unique, completely different from each other, with the exception that they were very ambitious. I got over the first two, and I'm working on getting over the most recent one. And I'm doing a damn fine job after four months, if I may say so myself. You need to allow yourself time to grieve. Time to sit with yourself. And to understand yourself. To get to know who you are as an individual now without being, at least in part, defined by someone else. And here's another relationship question, and one I'm very intrigued by. Eric wrote... Being in a relationship with someone with the same bipolar issues as me is exhausting. I feel like I'd be a burden if I dated anyone who wasn't bipolar or they wouldn't be able to understand. Eric, I always say I wish I knew how long I've been bipolar. I was officially diagnosed this past April and when I started reading up on the symptoms, it was like reading an owner's manual to my mind. I always felt unworthy of my ex. Hell, all of my exes now that I think of it. But I also felt like I was selling myself short. I wanted their love and I wanted them to leave me alone. When I think about it, I should have known I was bipolar all along. My first therapist used to always refer to my duality that I always had these opposing sides that were at work at the same exact time. And I wish I had thought of getting diagnosed back then. I could have saved my marriage. Then again, probably not. Because the choices we make are always either or. If I choose this, I have to give up that. And living with bipolar, with all of its different symptoms, is like being a whole bunch of different people depending on the moment. There's the manic mood, which includes feeling great. I know, terrible, right? But the euphoria can truly be frightening. Sometimes I feel like I'm absolutely losing my mind when I'm in this hypomanic state and I don't have any control. And that's where impulsivity and reckless behavior, two other symptoms come in. For instance, I always buy way more than I can afford which used to put a strain on my marriage. Or I would do other things that would absolutely hurt her if she knew and hide them from her. One of them, flirting with other women, sexting with other women, ties directly to reckless behavior and impulsivity. But also another symptom, excessive libido. Now, as I mentioned earlier when I was responding to Sierra, Sex has been a tricky thing for me for years. But my dalliances have all been virtual and always more of a mental thing for me. I used to be able to get women off physically, but now I do it with my words and my voice. And that's not to say I don't like that. These symptoms are exactly that, symptoms. But like being in an absolutely great mood when I'm in a hypomanic state, They aren't all completely unenjoyable. That is until you get to the other side of the spectrum. Depression. Anxiety. Anger. Hostility. Irritability. distractibility, Disorganization. Inattentiveness. The moments when sex is the last thing on my mind, let alone doing anything else. That all being said, Eric, I have no idea how being with another bipolar person would be. I mean, I think we would intrinsically understand each other more, but there would have to be some kind of agreements, more of like an open relationship to make things work. Because it's not like we'd be in sync with our symptoms. There would surely be moments when I'd be feeling great and say, want sex and they would be depressed and not care about anything. To be sure, I am not an easy person to live with, so I can't imagine what it would be like living with another me. I wish you a lot of luck. Speaking of mental health, Paula wrote in, any advice on how to start therapy and get diagnosed? Yes, Paula. Just do it. Now, therapy and getting diagnosed are two different things. A therapist is someone you go to every week or so and talk through your issues. The diagnosis comes from a doctor, sometimes a psychiatrist or psychopharmacologist, sometimes a medical doctor trained to diagnose and licensed to treat. Which is much, much cheaper and typically takes insurance. Now typically the three of you work as a team. Therapists are trained to understand different mental health conditions or disorders. And it's important to look for the right one for you. And what's also important is to not just settle for the first one, if you don't click. The problem with a lot of therapists is they simply don't call you back. They have reached capacity for new patients and rather than tell you this, they just don't even reply. So there's a tendency to jump on the first one you get in touch with out of desperation. Sometimes you look out and they're great, but oftentimes they're not the right fit. But do not be discouraged as there are so many therapists out there. Hopefully this is true everywhere, but at least here in the United States it is at least in the liberal cities I've lived in. I wish you lots of luck. Next up is Arturo, who wrote, I hate my job and feel like I'm wasting my life away by not doing what I like. Me too, my friend, me too. But it's means to an end. It pays me, it provides insurance. It makes me want to do more with my life. I'm working to get out of it, though to work for myself, to take these things I've been doing and make a career out of them, and doing other things related and unrelated along the way. You need to find something you like doing and do the hell out of it as much as you can every single day. I get up about five or six every morning to do my Instagram Q&A, and then to write these podcasts. This morning, I got up at 2 in the morning to record because nobody else is up, and I don't exactly have a sound booth at home. Every week, I write and record for the following Friday, and then immediately start writing the next week's episode. And I fucking love it. Sure, sometimes it's hard and feels like work. I mean, it is work. I put a lot of work into each episode. But it's something I'm passionate about, so it doesn't drain me the way a corporate desk job drains me. And so just like Paul asked how to go about finding a therapist, the answer is to just do it. I know, easier said than done. And it could take a long time. Did for me. But if you don't take that first step, you'll never get anywhere. Well, that's it for this week. Thanks to everyone for writing in, and to everyone for listening. Please subscribe, rate, review, and share this podcast. And follow my Instagram accounts: Nick Cave and the Bad Memes, Sad Peaks, Don Drooper, Mimi Bridgers, and this Sad Bastard Pod. God, when the fuck do I have time to sleep? And on the Nick Haven the Bad Memes and Sad Peaks Instagram accounts, I do the daily Q&A and the stories where you can tell me what's on your mind, and I might save it to reply to on a future episode. I'll be back again next week for some more sad, bastardly shit. Until then, take care of yourselves. Forgive yourselves. Love yourselves. And most importantly, do the work. taken me down, my friend, as they usher me off to my end. Will I bid you adieu. Well, I'll be seeing you soon. But what they say around here is true. Then we'll meet again, me and